Thank you for tuning in. My prayer is that this message is going to be an encouragement to you personally and will cause great growth in your life. It's time to live and it's time to take this next step forward. God bless you as you listen. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Good to the guitarist guy. Uh, I, I love it if you go and get your Bibles out. I'm ready to share God's word. Y'all ready to hear it? Good. Yes. Get your Bibles and your notes out. Jot a few things down. But open your Bibles and your Bible apps up to 1 Samuel chapter number 17. I want to give you a, a glimpse into the life of a, of a preacher. You know, there, there are pastors and there are preachers, and I'm a pastor and a preacher. And, and, and uh, as, as a preacher, the preacher part of my, of, of my calling I'll just say it's wonderful, but it's also terrible. One of the things that I learned about, I learned this from my dad. He just said, yeah, Tim, it's wonderful, but it's also terrible because it's arduous getting ready for Sunday. You know, getting getting ready for Sunday to go. It's like, ugh. Because what seems to happen is, and this happens more often than not, I have to live my Sunday sermon before I can preach my Sunday sermon. It would kind of be cool if, like, I just received this little book of a sermon that I would just read to you guys each week, and it's like, yeah, ooh, yeah, but it doesn't work that way. Uh, you know, I have to get in and mine it and put it together, and, and that, it all begins to come together, but the, the truth is, is the thing God makes me live it before I preach it, and the vast majority of the time, I actually have to deal with life stuff that parallels what my sermon is going to be about, about. You need to know this. It's not fair. <laughs> it's unfair. It, God is not being fair by doing that to me. He's not. He's not being fair. Now, of course, there, and you might say, that's not nice. God's fair. No, he's not. No, he's not. There, show me one scripture in the Bible that says God is a fair God. No, God is just, but he's not fair. All right. Now, here's the truth. Since, and, and I'll just have to say this last week, I felt like he was being very unfair to me. And so now that I got that out of my system, I just need to go ahead and get started with the message. Because my, my series that I have, it's last week, this week, and next week, is called Imperfectly Powerful. And it's about dealing with perfection issues. Uh, and I'll just tell you, this week, my personal desire for perfection clashed in this lightning, hurricane, tornado storm with my imperfection. And and really, if, if anyone who was even around me over the past six, seven days, you, you, you brushed up against it to some degree. And, and I, I don't think, I didn't like go, go too crazy on anyone. But, but it was, I was really, it was, I was walking through some stuff that I had to process on my own. Here's the deal. Basically, God makes me deal with my issues before I can preach about them. And that's real. That's just real. But good news. Here's the good news. Now... Today, I'm eager and I'm ready to preach God's word. And I want you to be challenged. I want your eyes to be open. I want you to be healed. I want you to grow. And I want you to be set free. Now, why do I want that? It's because I believe that's what God wants for you. So here's my big challenge. My big challenge is summed up in this one little statement. Be who God made you to be. Be liberated to be imperfectly powerful. Now, this is the second message in my series, and this, this message, my title today, you can write this uh, as the title in your notes, it's called Giving Up Perfectionism. Now, to start off with, I just want to let you know what perfectionism isn't. Perfectionism is not a desire to strive for excellence. 
I, th- I think we should strive for excellence, don't you? Yes. Uh, perfectionism is not like healthy achievement uh, and, and growth and, and moving toward goals. That's, that's not perfectionism. Those things are good. Those things are biblical. But perfectionism is actually dangerous and can be quite, quite toxic, and it takes different forms with all of us. We all, it all manifests in different ways with all of us. But here's the truth. We all deal with it to some degree. Some more than others deal with it. See, perfectionism can mean like when you believe that you need to have a certain lifestyle in order to be you. Uh, you may think that you need a designer appearance, whether it's your body or your clothing or your vehicle or your house or your job, and you feel you need this so you can be accepted and rise above others. Do you see the danger here? I, I'm, I'm just, do you mind if I just be honest today? All right, perfectionism, it, it, another way that it, it manifests itself, it may just be uh, something which is very toxic in itself, is feeling like that you need to get to the place where you have the inability to ever sin or think a bad thought, but that, that's impossible. It can also be like this relentless pursuit to have this perfectly balanced temperament and to have this vibrant personality that everyone loves. But ultimately, you tell yourself that you need whatever type of perfection so that others won't judge you. And you become the worst judge of yourself. You push hard for certain things and, uh, and, and you do it so that you won't feel less than other people. You may equate perfectionism was success. And I'll just tell you, it's, it's really an ugly thing. It's an ugly thing. At the same time, I think it's exacerbated by the fact that we live in a huge metropolitan area and all of this, this world screams at us to be more and more and more perfect. And here we are right in the heart of the city. Now, in studying for this message, I, d- I did a lot of research and study, and, and one thing that jumped out at me uh, it, and, it, and it spoke to me deeply. I was, I was reading along, I was reading something written, some stuff written by Brene Brown, the author, and, uh, and she stated this. She says, like, perfectionism is like a shiny shield. Except she didn't use, use the word shiny. I put that in there because I like using extra words. So it's not a direct quote, but here's the deal. And she what I, what I interpreted from this and what I read is that it's like you think of this shield as protecting you and you put a lot and you invest a lot into this shield but eventually it becomes so heavy and it becomes a greater burden than anything else in your life and the shield itself prevents you from soaring high. So you shine it up, and you make it bitter, bigger, and you put jewels in it, and you, you make it more sturdier and heavier. After all, I mean, hey, your shield of perfectionism has to look great, doesn't it? It has to look perfect. It also has to be impenetrable because, you know, bad stuff's going to come your way. And it also needs to kind of show off the, the beauty of its perfection. And, and it needs to also be big enough to hide anything that's going to hide behind it, which is you, <laughs> I just thought of that. It's like a shield, a shield, a shield. A shield. A shield. You know, if perfectionism is a heavy, obnoxious shield that ultimately weighs us down, what's the spiritual contrast to this? I mean, 
doesn't God already challenge us to use a different type of a shield? A shield that's actually effective and light and that is supernatural? And the answer is, the answer is what? Yes. And it is called the shield of faith. That's it. You got it. Bam. Slammed up this shield of faith. Ephesians 6.16, Paul addresses it. Now, I want to talk about that today because it is beautiful when you understand how it actually works. I'm gonna, and I want you to give up your shield of perfectionism. I want you to put it down. I'm going to challenge you to pick up a new different kind of a shield. And this means that you're going to have to heighten your faith. And I'm going to tell you today how to do that. Uh, it's, it's, it's about believing in God and believing that he is going to come through for you. It's about charging forward. Knowing this is you've done the very best you know to do. And it's, it's about being wise and nimble because you can be because you're not carrying so much clutter. It's about knowing and expecting that God can and God will fix that imperfection gap because he himself is perfection itself. And you see, you can try all the harder on your own and you can like work and try and, and you, you can go like work 90 hours a week trying to make your boss happy, trying to be the perfect employee or maybe you try to be the perfect boss or try to be the perfect student and you study and, and you, 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 you do all these things to try to make yourself more perfect and then the, the challenge is you start studying other people. You'll look at someone else and think, well, they're very perfect so maybe I can be more like them and, and so you change your hair to look like their hair and you try to get abs like they have, you know? Uh, You get their clothes, same kind of car they have, because you want to look perfect like them. But by the time you finally get yourself looking that kind of perfect, like they're perfect, well, all of a sudden the target has moved, because now they're they're doing something totally different. You're wearing yourself out. You find yourself then frustrated. You're broke down, and it's all because of your perfectionism. So what do you do? Well, the perfectionist then will move into hiding because you don't want anyone else to see the real you. You don't want to get hurt. I just want to say, let's give it up, guys. I want just to give up that perfectionism. God is waiting for you to admit that in spite of your imperfection that you already know is there, that you are made in his image and that you need his power and his power is available to you by faith. By faith, you can advance forward. You can break out of your self-imposed prison that you've built around yourself and move on to life's battlefield, knowing that God can and God will come through for you. Now, there's an amazing Bible narrative that, that, that puts the meat on the bones of this, because I love the scriptures, and it's found in 1 Samuel 17. Before we start reading there, uh, get it ready for Samuel 17, 4, but, but uh, a little background. There are these two nations. One were the Philistines and Israel. The Philistines were the arch enemies of Israel. And, and they, what the Philistines wanted is they wanted God's people to be subjected to them so they could make them slaves. So these two armies camped on each side of this huge valley. And the Philistines made a proposal. Their proposal was this. You send out your perfect warrior, we'll send out our perfect warrior, and then we'll let them do a fight to the death. Whoever wins, their nation is subject to the other nation. And so the Philistines proceeded then to bring out their perfect warrior. Now, can anyone guess what the perfect warrior's name is, just in case you went to church and you know it? I mean, I I want you to go and let it out. This is your moment. Who's that perfect warrior? Goliath. Yes, absolutely. Goliath. Good. Some of you weren't sure, but it is Goliath. That's one of the most popular stories in the Bible, but I think you're going to see it a little different today. Goliath would go out there 
and he would taunt and he would mock the people of Israel and the armories of Israel and the God of Israel every single day, twice a day. This is getting ugly. We jump into the story in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 4. Follow along with me in your Bibles. It says, a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits in a span. The height of that is nine feet, nine inches. That's a pretty tall guy. And, and then I want you just to see how, how the Bible just shows us the utter perfection of Goliath. Look at this. It says he had a bronze helmet on his head. He wore a coat of scale armor of bronze that weighed weighing 5,000 shekels. I know you don't weigh things in shekels. Let me break it down for you. That's 125 pounds. Who in their right? Some of you don't even weigh that much. Oh my goodness. So this is 125 pounds of stuff he's carrying on me. And I thought my backpack going in the Grand Canyon was heavy when I had 50 pounds, all right? I'll never do that again. All right, keep reading. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves. And a bronze javelin was slung on his back. I like how they make it just sound like he's just so cool. Yeah, he just slung it on his back. And his spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. Uh, just, you know, that's, that's just a measly 15 pounds of, of, of like the thing. Uh, his shield bearer went ahead of him. So, I mean, the point of his spear, 15 pounds, that, that, that's crazy. All right, so that's him in his stellar perfection. That's the perfect warrior. You look at that and you go, whoa, okay. All right, so here's the contrast. There's a little guy by the name of David. David's about 16, maybe 17 years old. David didn't even own any armor. Uh, he didn't have a helmet. He may have had a cowboy hat because uh, he was a shepherd. I don't know. But, but he, he, he had a javelin. He didn't have a javelin. He didn't have a spear. He didn't have a, a sword. He, he didn't even have a shield. Uh, the, again, he was a shepherd. He was, he was a teenager who would like, sit out there with the sheep and write music and play songs and sing to the sheep. I mean, like, that's weird. I, what is he doing with his life, okay? And he comes from this low-class community of Bethlehem. So you get in the picture here, all right? So his dad sends him out to the army uh, basically as an errand boy to go and carry bread and cheese to the, to the, the brothers. And so, you know, when you get some like, because it wasn't fluffy bread back then, it was flat bread. So you would get some bread and you put cheese on it. What do you have? Pizza. Okay. So basically he was delivering pizza to his brothers. And, and so he's got all these pizzas and he's going out there. He's a pizza delivery boy. That's all he is. He's Nothing. Nothing. Like some of us, when you take off the shininess, nothing. <laughs> I love it because there's a lot of something here. Let's jump into the story. All right, verse 22. Go down to there. Go, go take a look at what happens when he shows up at the scene. Verse 22. It says, David left his things with the keeper of supplies and ran to the battle lines and asked where, asked his brothers how they were. So he's chatting with his bros. And as he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. We do know he has good ears. Got one thing going for him. Let's look at it. It says, now look at this though. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. That captivates my attention there because here you have now Mr. Perfection because Mr. Perfection, Goliath, the, the perfect person, they just love to intimidate everyone. Why? 
and they will come out with this attitude of perfection because they feel that nobody else can measure up and they feel good about that. Watch them scamper and hide. Flip it over to the other side of us. I mean, what happens when we're controlled by emotions and when we feel that we don't measure up? Well, a lot of times we just do that. We run and we hide. And I'm telling you guys, if you keep trying to strive for perfection, you're always going to fall short because there will always be someone out there who's smarter than you, wealthier than you, more beautiful than you, more confident, more successful, more powerful, more spiritual than there'll always be someone like that out there in front of you. And when you get into this mindset of I gotta make myself better and better and better, I have to be perfect, then you're gonna find yourself running to hide an awful lot. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's a lonely place. Well, here in our Bible narrative, David ends up getting an audience with Saul, the king of Israel. And I want us to jump down to verse 32. Uh, verse 32, and we're going to pick up the story from there. David's with Saul. He says to him, he says, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go fight him. That means me. I, I, I want to go fight him. I want to serve you, king, but I'm going to go fight him. <laughs> okay, keep in mind what Saul's looking at. He looks at him, and Saul says, <laughs> you're not able, I know he said it just like that, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man, and he's been a warrior since his youth. Now, all of a sudden, we're seeing something about Saul. Can I just tell you something? There wasn't just one perfectionist out there. It wasn't just Goliath. Saul was a perfectionist also. You study Saul's life, you're going to see how his constant problems with perfectionism get him into trouble again and again. Saul's always hiding. Saul's always hiding out because he's flawed and he didn't want anybody to see it. But just like, like Saul, just like Saul, the perfectionist, will always look down at faith. David had faith, and he was looked down upon because that's weakness. Perfectionists don't like that. See, perfectionists rate people on appearance, age, stature, attire, occupation, eloquence. David somehow, though, eventually convinced Saul, and he's going to head out into the battle. So I want to speak up in, in uh, verse number 38. And now you're going to see how Saul tries to put his perfectionism onto David. Look at verse 38. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. In other words, he looks like a king now. <laughs> he, he was dressed pretty rough, and he probably stank pretty bad, all right? But he put on a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword. It's not his own sword, but it's Saul's sword over the tunic, and he tried walking around because he was not used to them. And he said, I can't go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. Here's, here's what's brilliant. See, he, he was into being imperfectly powerful because what it is, he took it off. And then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the stream and put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with a sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Now, can you see what I see here? Saul, the perfection-obsessed king, is basically saying, you don't have the right look. 
Um, you don't have the right attire. You don't have the right equipment. So I'm going to fix you and make you look really, really perfect. And then I'm going to kind of get down low and take some pictures of you, like and post them on Instagram where you look kind of tall. And then, then Goliath's going to be over there. He's going to go on his Instagram feed. He's like, Saul, oh my word, there's the warrior. I'm scared now. Okay, uh, I don't know what's going to happen. We'll intimidate him that way. Uh, that's all true except for the Instagram. They didn't have it yet, but they were, it was in the making, all right? But you know, in our world, it's not much different. You gotta have the Gucci wardrobe. You gotta have your iPhone 11 Pro Max Element OP KZ. You've gotta have your Rolex. You gotta have your BMW. After all, hey man, you gotta look good, right? Now, there's nothing wrong with any of that stuff per se, but here's the deal. Props will never change your imperfection. Those things are heavy, weighty shields and they are meant to pull you down. Perfectionism, it just weighs too much. Perfectionism doesn't fit. You weren't designed for it. Like I said earlier, I want you to be who God made you to be. Be comfortable in your own skin. Let's go back to the battle. Let's take a look at verse number 41. Verse 41 says, Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him. Okay, pause right there. The shield bearer in front of him, he's got his own shield, but it's so huge and massive, he's got to have someone else carry his little perfectionism. That's kind of weird when you've got other people carrying your perfectionism for you. Uh, okay, let some of you just think about that and how that's working in your life. Okay, and, and, and he says, and... And he looks over at David. Now look how condescending he is. Perfectionism does this. He looks at David and saw that he was a little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. And he said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his own gods he said, come here. I'm going to give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. Now, from the perspective of the onlookers at that moment, this was not a pretty picture with David. But guys, that's how perfectionism works. Perfectionism always tries to intimidate other people. It tries to make you feel like you are less than enough. It mocks you. It belittles everything about you. And for most of you, though, the voices that are mocking you are not voices that are spoken. They're the voices that are in your own head. Hey guys, they're not real. You're just reliving what somebody told you back in junior high. You're just rehearsing some line that an angry father told you way back when you were a kid. But I want you to get faith. I want you to push past those intimidating lies and break out of this. Look at verse 45. Keep going through this story. This is good. This is good. All right. Because David, he's about ready to go out there. He doesn't have any of the fancy schmancy stuff. There's nothing pretty about this. He's just going out there, but he's got something else. You can't see it, but it's called the shield of faith because watch how faith begins to work. Guys, this is good right here. This is good. Look at this. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with your fancy schmancy sword and spear and javelin, and you think you're all perfect and cool. Well, and these are my words here. It's not all in the Bible. But, but I want you to keep looking because that's really what was going on. He says, but, oh, I like that. I come at you and I come against you 
in my power? No, I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. And that right there is faith. He began speaking and declaring something that he hadn't yet seen happen. It was invisible to everybody else, but all of a sudden God's released into the equation. That's faith right there. That's how it works. He says, I come against you in the name of the Lord God Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. And then he says it again. He proclaims faith again. He says, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. Come on. He's got this, he's got this, he's going out there with faith. And he said, and and on top of that, big boy, I'm going to strike you down and I'm going to cut off your head. He doesn't even have a sword. He doesn't even have a knife. I mean, he he doesn't have a Boy Scout knife on him. Think about that. He wasn't armed to do that. He's declaring things. But for some of you, the destiny you need to go to, you don't have the equipment in your tool bag right now. But what God's saying is begin to declare it now by faith and begin to step out there because your best really is yet to come. So I love this. He said, I'm going to strike you down. I'm going to cut off your head. And then he said, in this very day, I'm going to give the carcass of, uh, of the Phil- carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world, the whole world will know there is a God in Israel. That's the kind of faith and boldness that I'm calling you to step into. You want to talk about the shield of faith? That's it, my friend. That's it, my friend. Says all those gathered here will know that it's not by the fancy schmancy. It's not by the skills. It's not by the technique. It's not by having your name in lights. No, all those gathered here will know that it's not by the sword or the spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's. It's God's. Your battle is God's. And if you believe it and if you declare it, you put God into the equation and you can drop your other, other shields and you can take that shield of faith. And I'll tell you what, it feels good. For the battle is the Lord, and he will give you all into our hands. David declared out loud his faith. Now, he probably looked pretty immature at that moment. He probably looked pretty puny. Because when you have the shield of faith, nobody can see it. You may not have the external trappings of perfectionism, but I'm telling you what, the external trappings of perfectionism are not needed when you have faith. Because faith triumphs over perfectionism. See, what David was doing is he was envisioning this big win by faith, and you know he did not know how God was going to pull it off. He just knew that he had to have God's help. But that's how the shield of faith works. Hell is firing off its intimidations and its accusations, and it's telling you that you don't have it together. And your brain keeps saying that, that if you can't do it perfect, if it doesn't look perfect, then I've got it. if I can't somehow pull it off as like halfway perfect, then I'm toast. But I'm telling you guys, that's wrong. The battleground for us may not be out there in the valley. Most likely, the battleground for us is in our own minds. They are thoughts that race through our minds that beat us down. But faith overcomes those thoughts. Faith pushes through in spite of the imperfection. You want to tell me what, when I say imperfectly powerful, you want to know where the power is? It's in faith pushing through the imperfection. That's where the power is. Verse 48, come on, back to this. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. I like it because the big old clunkety guy with all of his junk, all he could do is like you know, wobble like this. And David's like, okay, this is going to be fun. So he just takes off running. You know, you're pretty nimble when you're not carrying around a bunch of extra junk. 
He ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him and reaching into his bag, taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone, stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. Woo, you know how that goes. You've seen the movie. You've seen it all just like me. I like it. Look at, this, look at this next verse though. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone without a sword in his hand. He struck down the Philistine and killed him. And you know what? He eventually did do what he said he was going to do. He cut his head off. But how did he do it? Well, he got over there and was like, well, there's a sword that's on this guy that's laying on the ground. I'm going to go ahead and pull it out of his sheath. And I know it's kind of gross, but he did. And he held the head up like, woo, look at that, look at that. Bad guy, bad guy, gone. I mean, can this epic story be any more amazing? It's a triumph of a faith-charged, imperfectly powerful person who had the odds stacked way against him, who shed the heavy armor and the shield of perfectionism, and he got out there with raw and gutsy faith, and he said, I'm gonna do this. Last night, I sat down with a minister friend of mine. Spent quite a time with this, this, this friend. Been friends of mine since, for, for years and years and years. And he said, you know, I'm just feeling that God's stirring in my heart, and he began to describe a ministry venture. And, I mean, it's huge. He said, I just don't know, man. So he described it all to me in detail, but he said, I just don't know if God's in this. And I said, man, you have this whole thing organized in your head. And, and, and I, said, I said, do you have the faith for it? He goes, of course I have the faith for it. I said, then just get off your rear and get out and do it. You leave Fort Worth and go back home to Missouri and do it. He said, should I? Yes, do it. Do it. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, why are you going to stand back and and have all these things that God has already put in your heart and just like, well, I don't know. I don't even think about it. I need to pray. Some of you have been praying about it for 30 years and you're not even that old. I mean, so come on. I don't want to be that. I want to be able to step out in faith. Well, David said this. He wrote this later on. He said, Lord, you're the shield around me. You're the glory. You're the one who lifts my head. It's time to give up saying I hate myself. I hate what it'll look like. I hate how dumb I am. I hate, I hate, I hate, I hate. Your self-talk is destroying you. Here's the deal. At church, you're like, oh, pastor, speak the blessing over us. Yeah, yeah, okay. And I'm blessed by God. Yes, I'm blessed by God. But you're blessed by God, and you're going out of here, and you're cursing yourself. You're cursing what God has already blessed. What you're doing is you're digging a big, deep hole. God wants to fill your gaps of imperfection with faith. You can be imperfectly powerful when you shield yourself with faith because faith crushes perfectionism. Oh, it does. It does. The moment, I I just, you know, the, the moment of the beginning of your faith adventure can be even right now today. For some of you, today's the day. You need to run out onto your battlefield in the middle of your imperfection. But when you do it, don't you do it alone. You do it with that invisible shield of faith. Nobody else can see it. But when you begin to declare, my God is with me, God will give me victory, God will bless, you just better watch out because your prayers are gonna be answered. I like the way David, he wrote in another one of his Psalms, he wrote this song, he said, said God, you save the humble but you bring low the people whose eyes are haughty. Perfectionists. <laughs> you, Lord, you keep my lamp burning. My God turns darkness into light. It's God, the one who does this stuff. He says, God, with your help, I can't advance against a troop. With God, I can scale a wall. 
And he wrote these words as an old, old man. You could hardly get around. <laughs> yeah, your imperfections are not your inadequacies. Imperfections, they're just a reminder that we live in an imperfect world and we're, we're all flesh. We live in a fallen world. And we all need God's healing and power and we all need each other. We need faith. Faith that fills the imperfection gap. I want to pray for you right now that today will be a breaking point. Drop that old junk shield and begin to surge forward. God, I pray blessing right now over everyone in this room. I pray for a release of your life, your presence, your strength. I pray for there just to be overwhelming measures of the glory of God into our lives and our homes and our families and our occupations, God. God, that, that when we walk out on our cultural streets, we're not gonna be intimidated, but we're walking boldly in the power of God. We don't care. We don't, we don't have to measure up anymore. God, we, have, we are already, we know we're imperfect. So God, just fill us with your power. God, fill us with your power. Give us faith. Give us the willingness to declare the things that are not as though they are. God, help us to be people who will speak the speak those things into life and begin to believe for it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Before I go any further, I just want you to, I don't want any movement in the room right now. I'm going to ask you just to be very quiet and focus internally because you might be here today and you've not really surrendered your life to Jesus, possibly. You've drifted from God, and, and you know that before you leave this place, you need, to make, you, you need to make things right with God. You need your sin forgiven. And if that's you, I want to agree in prayer with you today. Here's how we do it. We do it so very simple. I'll just ask you in a second to raise your hand. When you lift your hand, I'll connect my faith with your faith, and then we'll pray together. And that's where miracles happen. That's where miracles happen. Is today your day? Is this, is this it for you today? Are you ready? If you want to know Jesus, you want to live life and life to the full, you want your sin forgiven, the count of three, will you lift your hand for me so that I can see it, just, just me to see it. I want to connect with faith with yours. One, two, three. Will you lift your hand up for me? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you lifted your hand, I'm going to ask you, as well as the rest of the congregation, to stand and pray these words with me. In fact, will you stand all across the room, guys? If you lifted your hand, please pray these words with me. Come on, pray it out. Pray it out from the bottom of your heart. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying for my sin. I believe you're the Son of God. Please forgive my sins, for it's time to live. It's time for me to live. It's time for me to live by faith. So I give up my past and I embrace the future that you have for me. In Jesus' name, amen. Look up at me. If you prayed that prayer in your minute, I want to say welcome to the family of God. Come on, church, let's honor that. Honor it. Yeah. Have you discovered your street of influence? Whether it be family, government, business, arts and entertainment, faith, health and vitality, or education, head over to culturalstreets.com and discover your street today.